Hi everyone, this is Alicia Halliday and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Early detection of autism is important for so many reasons, but two of them are, one, it allows for the opportunity for early intervention, and two, for individuals to receive as many services as possible. But when we say early, what does that mean? What is possible? How early? And what if the child does not receive an early diagnosis? What's their prognosis? These are all questions scientists are trying to answer. They can tell you this though, even in infants who have a high probability of being diagnosed, many kind of teeter around a diagnosis past two years, finally reaching the threshold at three years. But for those that have an early diagnosis at or before two years of age, it does stay stable. It generally does not change. While autism can be reliably diagnosed by two to three years of age, in the normal general population, it does not get diagnosed until after four years. Why or why not? Now, there are many reasons. First would be access to different services, recognition of the signs and symptoms by parents and other healthcare providers, and also possibly some symptoms don't become obvious until later in life. Now, what does that mean? Let's give an example. In girls, one of the reasons why clinicians say that their age of diagnosis is later because their social challenges remain hidden until the social pressures of their world make them obvious kind of around school age. Sometimes some kids with milder symptoms may be misdiagnosed with something else, a lot of times OCD or ADHD, and then later get an ASD diagnosis. In a new study from the Southwest Autism Resource and Research Center in Phoenix, clinicians looked at features of kids with autism who were diagnosed before they entered school at age five versus those who were diagnosed after they started kindergarten. The reasons why their diagnosis was delayed was not necessarily addressed by this study, but they did provide a behavioral phenotype of those who were diagnosed later. Well, first, they had higher IQs than those who were diagnosed earlier, and their deficits were focused on social communication deficits rather than the presence of repetitive behaviors. So their symptoms were fewer and a little bit less severe. There were both milder symptoms and there's the possibility that their cognitive abilities allowed them to mask or camouflage symptoms. In fact, the five most commonly autism symptoms in this late diagnosed group were impairments in reciprocal conversation, a lack of offering to share, a lack of imaginative play with peers, poor social verbalization or chatting, and lack of showing and directing attention. So could these different behavioral features be used to better diagnose some children with autism? If clinicians change the diagnostic criteria for this group of kids, would that change the accuracy of a diagnosis? These kids were diagnosed with autism later, but unlike the baby sibs studies, the analysis was not longitudinal, meaning we actually don't even know if they met criteria for autism at three or four years or not. In kids who have a high IQ and a lack of repetitive and restrictive behaviors, should other criteria be used? And if they are used, will that diagnosis still be valid? I think it's probably pushing things a little too far to say that we should change the diagnostic criteria for autism. But the finding that there are some kids who don't get diagnosed with autism until after they reach school age may at least, in an ideal world, help with the IEP process or provide a few referrals for those that don't have a diagnosis but need an evaluation. Also, again and again, this IQ thing as being a way to define different groups of individuals with autism keeps popping up and up again as a potential way to subgroup. Now, the key to diagnosis is to make sure that people with autism or not autism get the right diagnosis as soon as possible. And what does the right diagnosis get you? Well, first thing, it gets you early intervention. 
Early intense behavioral intervention does lead to positive outcomes, but not in everyone. There are many parents out there who think that their time and money might have been wasted on early behavioral intervention, and I get it. Now, my daughter was absolutely changed for the better with early intervention, and that early intervention still continues through school age. And personally and scientifically, I'm very much in favor of early behavioral intervention. However, I do acknowledge that rigorous scientific data is still lacking. That's why it's so great that systematic reviews keep coming out, which continue to incorporate findings on the efficacy of early behavioral intervention for features of autism. I want to thank a Facebook follower who suggested a new systematic review on early intense behavioral interventions be included in a podcast. Led by Brian Reichow at Yale, this systematic review took a look at hundreds of studies, but only included five that met the criteria that they set forth. Only one was a randomized clinical trial. Now, all in all, all of these studies included a couple hundred of kids total, only 100 in the intervention group and 100 in the treatment as usual group. For five studies, that's still pretty appalling. It's low, and the authors concluded that the evidence was still pretty weak around early intense behavioral intervention, and there are so few studies, and that there are so few samples. It wasn't because there was no evidence. It's because the data mostly come from small studies that are not of the optimum design. Due to the inclusion of non-randomized studies, so again, only one was a randomized clinical trial, there was what they call a high risk of bias, and therefore, they had to grade the overall quality of evidence of low or very low using a system called GRADE. This means that further research is very likely to have an important impact on the confidence of the estimate of the effect, and is likely to change the estimate. In other words, more studies may make a significant difference in this ranking of low or very low. It's interesting to note that the same five studies from this new systematic review were included in the old systematic review, which was published in 2012. My immediate question was, where were the studies that were published in the last five to six years? I know they were there. There was the Weatherby-Cert study and the Sally Rogers Early Start Denver model. There was actually a couple on the Sally Rogers Early Start Denver model. What about the PACT study in the UK, where they followed kids up not just six months to a year after the intervention ended, but five years after that? Well, they didn't meet the stringent criteria for inclusion in this systematic review. I want to explain. I was part of an air pollution and autism systematic review a couple of years ago, and the criteria are very, very strict. Some of the studies may not have that many kids in them and may have been excluded. Also, one thing is that Early Start Denver model, JASPER and CERTS, these newer interventions, they utilize parents and other caretakers as interventionists, which has its own challenges. So officially, they may not have qualified for early intense behavioral intervention. They're more naturalistic behavior interventions that instead of being delivered by a clinician is delivered by a caretaker or a family member in the home under a variety of settings. The glass may be half full with this. On one hand, they weren't included in this systematic review, and so they may have hidden any effect. But on the other hand, the trend is to train others to deliver interventions in a variety of settings, so you don't have to bring your child to an intervention clinic all day, every day. The original systematic review may have only included studies that were able to document a specific number of intervention hours. They also parsed the findings out across different outcomes. These include adaptive behaviors, autism severity symptoms, adverse events, intelligence, communication skills in terms of both expressive and receptive language, and problem behavior. 
There was the least amount of evidence that early intense behavioral intervention improved problem behavior, but better evidence that it helped adaptive behavior and even intellectual and cognitive functioning, suggesting that the brain is plastic early on and can be shaped to improve a variety of outcomes. One thing is clear. The effects of early intervention are not enormous, but they are there. Some studies have shown improvements in children who have severe behaviors and that early intense behavioral intervention can improve cognitive ability. However, again, there are many parents who worry that it's a waste of time. I realize with families with autism, resources are tight and you just can't do every intervention you want to. But there is evidence, even in this stringent design of a systematic review, that early intense behavioral intervention improves a variety of outcomes. I don't think any single autism treatment or intervention is going to work the same on every person with autism, and interventions are becoming more flexible, individually oriented, and generalizable to other settings, and more is able to be taught to a variety of individuals, including caregivers and teachers. Even if the ranking in the systematic review is not really the highest or low, don't give up on early intervention, but it's okay to moderate your expectations. I think this is where many parents get frustrated. They have high hopes for something and when it doesn't work out, it sets things up for immense disappointment. I hope this podcast was helpful this week and I will talk to you next week.